Well, a few years ago, I was on a, I was part of a mission trip to some villages uh, along the Amazon River in, in Peru. And after a, a long ride up the river, we came to the village. It was kind of serve as, as home base for us for uh, the time that we were there. And uh, we, were, we were greeted by uh, warnings about poisonous snakes and spiders, which I'm not a huge spider fan, so it just kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, then we were, we were shown a, a hole in the ground that would serve as our restroom for our time there. And in our, our first night there, we were in these cots, and there's no really walls on, on the huts. And like right outside of where we were, there was some animal that was being consumed by another animal. It was the most terrifying thing to lay there in the jungle of the Amazon thinking, I'm next, you know. It was, it was all really kind of kind of overwhelming, but not, not nearly as overwhelming as the love that we were shown by the Christians in that village. These, these people who we had, would never, had never met before, and by, um, by our standards, we would say probably had, had next to nothing, they, they lovingly showed us generosity and hospitality like like I don't think any of us had ever experienced before. They insisted that, that we sleep in their huts and that they would sleep out on the dirt porch by the jungle monster. Um, they knew we were a little, uh, a little nervous, so they, they did that. Uh, they dug us our own hole so we didn't have to share with the rest of the village. And then they even put up little tree walls for us so we could have a little bit of privacy. And to top it all off, it was like the second night we were there, a bunch of the men went out hunting and they came back with this prize-sized jungle rat that they had slain for us, and they brought it in and paraded it through the camp, and the camp was going wild, and we were like, uh-oh, that's dinner, and, you know, and they, they did, they roasted that thing right there, and uh, we ate along with uh, some, like, full-headed fish stew, but it was, it was very different, but the love was, I mean, you could feel it. They, they loved us. They were serving us. They were giving us everything that, that they had. And in, in one sense, we didn't have very much in common at all with, with these brothers and sisters. I mean, they spoke a different language, different lifestyles, different cultural traditions, different menus. But the one thing that we had in common that transcended all of that was the love that we shared in Christ. I mean, we, we, we sang songs, even in different languages, but we, we knew what the songs meant, and we were just grinning at each other. Just, it, was, it was there. You could, you could feel the Spirit was, was giving that. We believed the same gospel. And because of that, they, they loved us and they welcomed us into their homes, around their tables, and, and into their lives. They showed us generosity and hospitality. And this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Romans, chapter 12, we are going to see a little bit more about practical love and what it looks like in the church that love is to mark God's people. And, and oftentimes, it is a very practical, gritty kind of, of love. And this morning, we're going to be talking about generosity and hospitality. So if you have your Bibles, join me in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab one there in front of you, in the, in the pew rack in front of you. It'll be page 948 is where we'll be this morning. Page 948 in the Bible in front of you. Romans chapter 12. Now, if, 
you're visiting, we've been in Romans for a while now. We studied chapters 1 through 11, which, in which we saw God's gracious and merciful love for us in His Son, Jesus. That Jesus came and He, he died for our sin and He rose from the dead. And now He promises that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in Him, He will give them new life. He will forgive them and graciously now call us to, to come and to dine with Him for all of eternity in, in a relationship of love. God has shown us sinners mercy. Then in chapters 12 through 16, we say that the rest of the book shows us how we're supposed to respond to that mercy that God has shown us in Christ. And, and so far in chapter 12, we've seen that, that God's mercy moves us to, to surrender our lives as an act of worship in which we now strive in, in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live a life of, of joyful response to Him, where we are, we're seeking to not be conformed to the fleeting joys of this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to look more and more like Jesus. So if you're, if you're not a Christian with us this morning, and you've ever been around a Christian, you know the Christians aren't perfect, but we are a people who are forgiven and who are striving to become more and more like our Lord. And, and praise God, God is extraordinarily patient with us in, in that process. And this morning, we've been, we're looking at verses 9 down through 21. We're, sta- we're staying in this little section for three weeks and kind of pulling out some things about what, what practically should mark us as God's people when it comes to love and intentional love. So I'm going to read for us 9 through 21, and we're going to spend most of our time focusing on verse 13 in particular, but we're going to read the whole section again. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, says, Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Verse 13, our verse for the morning. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So next week we're going to be talking a lot about those verses about how to love in the midst of conflict and loving enemies. And last week we talked about this, that beginning, that first verse in verse 9, about how our love should be characterized by by authenticity. A love where we don't, don't wear masks And we're not pretending with one another, but it's a genuine, authentic, non-hypocritical love, which produces 
a type of brotherly affection for one another where we're competing and showing honor and weeping and rejoicing with each other. And then, as I said this week, we're going to look at what this, what this genuine love looks like practically from verse 13 with two main ideas, okay? So our two main ideas for this morning are, number one, we are to have gracious generosity, gracious generosity, and number two, intentional hospitality, intentional hospitality, gracious generosity and intentional hospitality. So those would be our two big ideas, all from verse 13 this morning. Now, before we get into those two points, um, we need to to notice something here, that that the acts of love that we're going to be focusing on this morning describe how Christians love other Christians. We are to be a people who are to be marked distinctly by our love for one another. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians aren't supposed to be generous and hospitable and impartial towards uh, people who, who don't follow Jesus. We certainly are. But, but the weight of this text is on love within the church. Love within the church. So, so notice verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Of the saints. That's, that's just another word for a believer. It comes from the word uh, uh, that means holy or set apart. That's what a Christian is, someone who's set apart from sin and set apart to God. That's simply what a, a saint is. And, and the way that being set apart to God looks is, is it changes our lives, including the way that we, we love one another practically. And that as we have ability and opportunity, we are to be a people who help those who are in need. But there's a a biblical priority that comes with with our helping other people. For instance, 1 Timothy 5 tells us that we we are to take care first of our biological family and then care for others. So there's there's a priority in the scriptures with with, uh, biological family first, then other Christians. Uh, Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So if you have any questions about what that means, I'm happy to, to talk with you about it more, but I just want to be clear that this morning that we're talking specifically about the way the Christians love one another. So with that kind of preface, number one, we're going to talk about gracious generosity. Look again at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of the saints. So one of the things that should mark a Christian's love for other Christians is a willingness and a desire to contribute to the needs of other Christians. Now, the word for contribute, it's it's important because it it doesn't communicate this kind of throw some change in the bucket or, you know, here's a can of soup kind of generosity. The, The word contribute comes from the word koinonia, which means to share. The the root of the word means to to have something in common, to take part in something. So 1 Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice so far as you share, same word, in Christ's sufferings. The kind of um, contributions that we're supposed to make to one another's needs are, are supposed to have 
heart behind it. It's not some kind of dry, sterile, here you go. But there's a, there's a I love you and I'm moved to help you kind of, of picture here. We enter into the situation of a needy brother or sister, or they enter into our neediness to help bear the burden of whatever we're facing by bringing practical assistance. That means that if we're Christians, we, we take responsibility for one another's needs, and we sacrifice what we have to make sure that somebody gets what they don't have when it comes to needs. That's the kind of practical generosity that we're supposed to have with, with one another. Now, before we talk about how we do this, because it'd be easy just to jump right into, okay, what does that mean? How do I be generous? We're going to get plenty of that, but we, wanna, we need to think for a moment about why we do this. Why we have this kind of generous spirit towards, towards one another. Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, By the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We've, we've said that that phrase, by the mercies of God, serves kind of as, as, as a fountain for all of the commandments that flow through the rest of chapters 12 through 16. We are responding to what Christ has done for us. So, so the way that I love you as a fellow Christian, if you're a fellow Christian, or if you're not a follower of Christ, we love you as well. The way that we do that is, is it begins with having first been, been loved. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. God's people are to be marked by generosity because God has loved us that way. Think about it. God the Father has been generous to us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, the son, has been generous. Mark 10.45, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Romans 5.5 tells us that the Holy Spirit has been generous to us as well. God's love has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who, who don't need us at all, look upon us, in a sense, in, in our pity, and generously love us. God has loved you. God has shown us gracious generosity by giving us, ultimately, himself. And that, that's the heart behind the gospel, that we were needy in our depravity, that we were ruined in our rebellion, that we were bankrupt in our sin. Morally, we were, we were, we were on empty. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together in Christ. You see that? We were poor, he was rich. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. He commands the church, let your love be genuine. So the same kind of verse we saw there in verse 9. For, and this is why, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that 
by his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus generously gave up the riches of glory to come to earth. He became poor. God became a man. You're talking about humility. God became a man so that we could become rich by what he has given. Now, I'm not talking about silver and gold and fame and fortune kind of rich. We're talking here about something infinitely more valuable than that. That we, by his grace, through faith in Christ alone, are united to him in his life-giving resurrection. That is the kind of generosity that we have received. God has loved us when we were poor in our sin. He, who is rich, came and rescued us and gave us everything. He loved us by supplying us generously in our greatest area of need. Forgiveness, reconciliation, love. And now, for those of us who are Christians, that God continues to supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Every single day, he cares for us. I want to pause right here and say, listen, if, if, if you're not a Christian this morning, we're really thankful that you're here. We think there's no better place for you to be on the planet uh, than to hear God's word and to hear about the gracious love that he has shown us in Christ. I want to encourage you to, to give consideration to this Jesus. He needs nothing from us, yet he offers us everything in himself. I encourage you to consider him and turn to him and believe. Well, this kind of generous mercy that we have received in our neediest hour is, is the kind of generous mercy that we should be practically giving to others in their hour of need. And it's also what guides and guards our attitude while we give to others. So this is not just a call to be like, all right, I'm going to help somebody. What do you need? It's, it's not that kind of posture. But listen to this, Romans 12, 8 says, the one who contributes in generosity and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And, and again, this is not some kind of fake cheerfulness. You're like, all right, happy, I'm here, you go. Like, but this is like a heartfelt, spirit-given, God, help me, I don't feel this way. I want to feel that way. Help me to be cheerful kind of posture of, of the heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Our generosity toward one another should be marked by joyful, cheerful giving that flows from a heart that has been marked by the mercy that God has given to us. All right, so that's, that's why we are going to be generous with each other. We look to Christ and see his generosity towards us. All right, then, well, what, what kind of needs are in, in view here? Well, we certainly want to be generous um, in helping one another's spiritual needs. Uh, we should assist one another. We, we all need encouragement, and we need correction. We need instruction. And those are all true things, uh, but those, that's another sermon for another day. This, this morning, he's talking about real, practical, physical needs that are in churches. So we're going to think of necessities and ministry, those kinds of, of needs. So let's think about necessities. We are to generously contribute to the needs that other brothers and sisters have when they need something. Uh, when you read through the book of Acts, 
we see the Christians are marked by this kind of care for each other. You see it in Acts 2, and then the same thing in Acts 4. I'll read this section from Acts 4, uh, verse 32 through 35 says, Those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. That's remarkable. Like that's, that's weird remarkable. Like that's not normal. That's a supernatural love. Because the world teaches us, remember, it says, do not be conformed to the world. That was our first little part here in Romans 12. Do not be conformed. To the, the world says, no, 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 life's about you. Get what you need, but not just what you need. Get what you want, and it's your rights. You earn this. Hold on to that. And I think in, in some senses, it's very true. We work hard for things, and we have a joy and a freedom to enjoy those, and that's certainly true. But, but in the church, we see things a little bit differently, where we recognize that we're family here. We're, we're, we are a family of blood-bought rebels who have been adopted as, as God's children. Now, I want to be clear. This is not a case for socialism. This is a biblical portrait of love in the church. Very different. And a church, Because a church just isn't, isn't just a social club. So I'm not sure what the church was like for you growing up, but the church I grew up in, it was kind of just a social club where you get together and you kind of hang out, and that was, that's about it. It's deeper. We are a family, and we want to be a family that cares practically for one another. So if one of us is hungry, we feel the burden to help each other. If one of us is short on clothing... We feel the burden to help each other. If one of us is without shelter, for whatever reason, we feel the burden to help each other. Listen to this from 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet, and listen to the way this is phrased, closes his heart against him. Closes his heart. Don't no. Closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, this is a good word for a congregation like ours. Because you start talking about theology, people will be like, amen. Preach some theology. Okay, get some big old books or some big words. Nobody knows what they mean. Let's talk about that. Theologians, church history, I love me some of that meat. When you start talking about, yo, what's yours? If you love somebody, you're going to share it. You're like, now, preacher, you're getting in my business. We're not going to talk about that. There's something about our circles that this is weird for us to talk about. And and I think there's a part of us that thinks, oh, we just don't want to be social gospel, you know, where you gut the gospel and you you still call it gospel. Well, it has nothing to do with redemption. And you're just here to help people and make the world a better place. That's an empty kind of love. And certainly, I mean, we're thankful for civic organizations that do things, but there's things only the church can do, which is to preach the gospel. So, so we believe you preach the gospel. But we also believe, as Spurgeon said, 
If you're going to preach the gospel to a hungry person, you wrap it in a sandwich. Like, that's, that's wise counsel. Historically, Christians have been a poor and needy people. So, this is an anomaly, what's happening right here. The Christians, who are probably, percentage-wise, over 2,000 years, some of the wealthiest Christians who've ever lived on the planet, are in this room, right now, in a building, on a property that's millions of dollars. Like, this is an anomaly in church history. This is not normal. And we don't need to feel guilty about that, necessarily. This is a good thing we need to consider things, but, but, but this is just not normal. In church history, God's people have been marked by, by struggle. Think about it. Our own Lord had no place to lay his head. And often those who follow him find themselves in very similar situations. Because very often, like the normal thing for Christians, which is true even in our day around the world, is that persecution leads to poverty. Your business gets looted and nobody comes to help because you're a Christian. Or you can't even get a job because people aren't giving Christians jobs. You hold convictions that the world says you're going to believe that or you're not working here. That may be nearer to us than when we first believed. But most of us don't, in this moment in history anyway, face persecution that leads us to being short on food or shelter, or clothing, or necessities. But listen, things are changing. I mean, there's, there's members of our church right now who feel pressure because of convictions that they have about what God says about how people are created and how we're supposed to live our lives that, I mean, as, as trends go, we'll lose jobs because of convictions. Like, that's just gonna, it's gonna happen. So this is not as far off as we may think. But it doesn't also mean that there aren't times when we find ourselves in need for practical helps because of all kinds of other things. Maybe it'd be uh, our age. Maybe it'd just be a season in life. Maybe there's, you know, uh, a, a, a new baby comes and there's a whole lot of stress that comes there and need help. Maybe there's sickness that's going on, not able to do something in need, loss of job, whatever it may be. So how can we help brothers and sisters in need? Well, every church has different, different ways of doing this and you know, we're kind of reworking things here, so we're, we're developing systems. Uh, the elders are giving this a lot of prayer and attention. Um, we've recently read a really great book, um, When Helping Hurts. If you haven't read that, I encourage you to check that out. It deals with a lot of these issues, When Helping Hurts. Um, but, but one of the things that as we develop policies, we, we never want to get past the priority of relationship. So what that means is, if you know somebody in the church that you've covenanted with, that you're, you're running this race with, you know somebody who's in need, you do not need a permission slip from the elders to help them. Please, help them. If they're your friends, help them as you're able. Or if you're not able, like let it be known in your community group or let the elders know. Certainly, we, we want to help. So we don't want to get past that. And, and you know what? I want to say, I want to encourage you, Delray Baptist Church, I, I think when we know about needs... I think we do pretty well with that. I, I think in general we do pretty well. Now, I think some of our members really give a lot of time and feel really stretched, so I think there's room for improvement and ways to jump in. So I would just echo Paul in 1 Timothy 4 when he says this, Concerning brotherly love, that indeed is what you are doing, but we urge you, do this all the more. So 
good job, Delray Baptist Church. Now, let's do some more, okay? That's kind of the idea behind it. All right, so what does that look like practically? Well, um, one thing is we have something called a benevolence fund, all right? So this is, this is where you give money that's over and aside your normal giving, and you mark it, benevolence fund, and it goes into a, a separate account that is used for, for these kinds of needs. That if there's a member who loses job and is trying really hard to get a job and, and is, I can't pay rent or I can't eat or I, my children need clothes or whatever it is, like we as a church have set aside some money to help. We, we want to do that. Uh, it's also used for, uh, for you know, a short extended time of, of helping someone who may need some, some biblical counseling but can't, can't pay for it. Uh, we want to be able to help out of that fund as well. But um, I want to thank you. You've been generous in giving to that. But give all the more, especially in times right now where it may be easier for you to give. This is a good time to st- store up for days when it may be more difficult. Um, we have a team who coordinates meals for those who have, have had babies or who are, are sick. Um, we need more volunteers for that. So if, you have, if you're thinking, as I'm laying out ways to get involved, and you're like, okay, I want to do that, Info at Delray Baptist Church is a good email to just send. Or like, I want to help. Use me. Info at Delray Baptist Church. Or just come up and talk to one of us. We'd be glad to help you get, get plugged in in this way. Um, right now, there, there's a family um, because of, of a long-term illness uh, that is in need of, of people to just come by and visit. Just come by and help with some child care. To jump in with helping with meals with a family like that right now. So if you're like, I, I can make a meal, or I'd love to go help with some child care to help a family that's struggling. There's a need right now. There's another, uh, one of our long-term members, uh, well, a couple of uh, our long-term members, there's some, uh, some repairs that's need done on their house. So Jerry Liang, uh, we're going to announce it tonight, but uh, he's helping to put together a crew to go over and do some, some work there. So there's practical needs like that that are always abounding. Um, and if you're like, oh, I, I want to I know about that, just let us know. We want to we help you. We'll make those needs known. But they're always among us. They're always going on. Occasionally we have uh, members who need rides to church. Um, and, of course, there's, there's other needs that aren't necessities, but we want to help one another. So if you know somebody's moving and somebody says, hey, I need help moving, and you're like, I don't want to do that, it's good to be generous. Okay? Do unto others. You have them do unto you. Same thing with maybe somebody's house who's, they've been sick for a long time and they need some help with cleaning, or babysitting, or whatever it may be. Which also gives me a wonderful opportunity to highlight child care. So a wonderful ministry here at Delray Baptist Church where the more people who volunteer to help, the, the less burden it puts on, on some. So right now, praise God, there's 60 members who give regularly of their time and their effort to help pour into the next generation uh, by, by caring for them so that people can come and listen to, to sermons in relative silence. So praise God, that's good news. I would encourage you to jump in on that team if you aren't already. Also think this is a good place to mention two little important ideas about how generosity works. Okay, so the first is this. If you are ever in need, please be humble enough to let us know. None of us want to be a burden, but it's, it's not a burden for us to help you. Some, I, I mean, there have been members who have let things go for way too long, just out of shame or fear. Like, no, we want to practically help you. So please, it's hard to ask for help, but this is what we do in our family. We love one another. So if you're in need, please be humble enough to let us know. Okay? 
And secondly, know this, that whenever you ask for need, we always deal with things on a case-by-case basis. So we know that everything in life is kind of connected somehow. So if you are in need of something physical, what we're going to want to do is sit down with you, maybe with an elder or a deacon or another member who's going to help, and we want to talk about, talk about how'd you get into the situation that you're in. What's going on? Are there ways that we can relieve other areas of your life so that we don't get back into this situation? So we don't want to just throw stuff and be like, hey, here you go, but we want to like help grow. And we all need that kind of correction and that all kind of, of help. So there's nothing, nothing at all shameful about that. So those are some things about practical, uh, just life together in necessities. There's also ministry needs. So uh, F- uh, Philippians chapter 4, Paul speaks about the way that the church partnered with him generously to help the work of the ministry and the word of the gospel go forth. We want to be a church that is generous in the same exact way. So, for instance, last year, when I got here, um, part, the, the budget was to give 10% of, of, what, of, of the budget to go towards missions. Okay? That's good. That's a tithe. This, this year, we're doing 11%. And our intent is to keep pushing that as much as we can. If we can't do it in a full percentage every year, then we can't. And sometimes we may be able to do two. Who knows? Like, we want to keep pushing that up. So that we are a people, when, that when we give money, we are, we are trying to make that money go for the gospel. That, that's part of being a, a generous church. We want to contribute to the needs of the saints who are focusing their time, energy, and efforts on fulfilling the Great Commission. We want to help. That's one way we do that. Also, we have, like right now, we have a group that's going on a, uh, on a mission trip in July to do some work with one of our gospel partners over in Scotland. And a couple of the people who are on the mission team, they, they don't have a lot of Christian friends or family um, to help them raise support. So some of you, if you want to help, I encourage you, whenever you write a check, put in the memo line, Scotland trip, um, and say, listen, I, w- I want to help those brothers and sisters get over to do gospel work. That's a way to practically be generous. And it doesn't have to be some crazy big fat check. I mean, like, if you've got a little bit, get some change together. Every little bit helps. We want to be a people who have that kind of mindset of sacrificial generosity all the time. And again, we could say much more about generosity. Um, but the most important thing, I think, for us to keep in, in front of us is that this is motivated because of God's mercy toward us, which gives us a sacrificial, joyful, intentional generosity toward our brothers and sisters. So, do you see opportunities to be generous? Some that I've mentioned or, or others? If so... How can you excel all the more in doing that? And if you aren't intentionally being sacrificial and generous, like right now, if you can't put your finger on it, this is how I'm trying to be generous, I'm going to say you, you could probably do all the more. Take some time. Read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Kelton pointed that out to me and reminded me of that section this week. Great passage. Read through there and see the generosity of Christ and ask him to warm your heart to love others. Okay? Pause. If you're visiting with us, we don't always talk about money. Just so you know, in case you've been to like three churches in a row and you're like, they all talk about money. Like, this might be the first time I've ever talked about money since I've been here. It may be. Maybe the second time. But, but we, it is part of, I mean, Jesus teaches about it all the time. So I'm not apologizing for that, but just want you to know it's not, not our soapbox, okay? So that's uh, gracious generosity. The second thing we want to talk about is intentional hospitality. Intentional hospitality. Look again at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
Now, when you, when, when you hear the word hospitality, what, what kind of comes to mind for you? When I hear that, the first thing I think is, do I have to mow the lawn? Um, I think of, I don't think of this, but I'm sure some of you think, do we have towels that are folded and do they all match? Do I need to go grocery shopping? Do we need to dust in places we forgot about? If you've got kids, you certainly worry what they've done to the bathroom. And you've got to check that thing right before somebody comes over because you never, you just never know. Or if you have children, you know that you want to, you kind of want to clean things up and kind of lock the kids in the closets before they come out so that we don't actually lock our children in a closet, just so you know. But you, you want to keep them contained so that when somebody comes over to the house, it looks like you have some kind of semblance of, of order. Then you've got to think about, okay, um, who do we invite? And what in the world are we going to talk about when they get here? All right, we're here. Hey there, Christian. How's it going? Like, there's that, what are we going to talk about? And then, of course, the all-important, how do you get them out of your house when it's time for them to leave? And how do you do that in a really Christian way, right? Um, for some of us, the toughest part about hospitality is, is that we know that, that opening our homes means opening up our lives. And that costs something. It costs service and sacrifice and vulnerability. And some of us think, well, hospitality, that's the gift of the extrovert, okay? And that's not me. I'm not extroverted at all. Or maybe you just look at your busy schedule and you think, when in the world am I supposed to fit something else in in my schedule? But as we'll see, I want to suggest that hospitality isn't isn't something that's just for, for extroverts or for retired people with big houses. But it is something that all Christians should, the verse says, seek to show. That means that we're not just called to, to take opportunities when we see them, but rather, rather, to make opportunities to pursue opportunities, to take the initiative, or as the New Living Translation captures it well, be eager to show hospitality. All right, so what is hospitality then? I want to suggest that biblically, hospitality is more than just an extra toothbrush or a blow-up mattress for your living room. The word hospitality is literally translated something like Lover of strangers, or one who shows love to guests. All right? So it has to do with love. You see, in, in the first century, hospitality was an, a necessary act of love in the church. Uh, one reason is you had traveling missionaries, and I mean, when they're coming from town to town to town, like they're going to sleep in the yard or they're going to sleep in your house. Like, it was, it was a necessary thing. And also, modern accommodations like hotels, like, they were few and far between, and certainly something that most believers didn't have money to, to pay for. We've already mentioned the, the persecution that forced Christians to wander. And those who had that kind of need, they were looking for other Christians who would open their homes and receive these guests, and oftentimes these guests... I mean, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have email, they didn't have some way to call ahead and be like, hey, we've got a brother who's coming in, would you be willing to host? It's like, hey, here we are, you know? 
It's a, it's a totally different kind of deal. It's that kind of idea. Christians are to be people who have open homes and open lives to help those who are in that kind of, of need. And also, I think, other kinds of needs as, as well in regards to, to building a community where we love one another. It's a form of practical generosity that Jesus says will even be used as evidence on that final day of judgment. Eric read just a moment ago from Matthew 25. I'm going to read this section again. It says, I was hungry and you gave... This is Jesus speaking. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we do these things? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. The scriptures say that when we lend to the poor, give to the Lord. To host one another, in a sense, is to host Christ himself. I remember the first time I did a study on biblical hospitality. I was like, whoa, that's weighty. It's, it's so much more than like what we, we would think it is. Like it's a weighty reality. Because it centers around love. And not just a theoretical love, but practical love. Biblical hospitality certainly can involve beds and home-cooked meals. But like generosity, it's more than merely being nice to people. It's an act and an attitude of love that seeks to refresh others with with tangible gospel love. It's a heart posture that, that leads us to generously receive and treat guests and strangers as we would want to be treated. Warm, warmly and, and, and in a way that edifies. Now, some of you might say, well, I actually don't want anybody to invite me over to their house. Lose that, Okay. We need fellowship. We need one another. Hospitality, here's a definition for you, is a spirit of service that invites others into your home and into your life to show the love of Christ. I'll say that again. Hospitality is a, it's an attitude. It's a spirit of service that invites others into your home, into your life, or into your church to show the love of Christ. Christ. And this hospitality, it is perfectly seen in the life of Jesus. Think think about this. In in the Gospels, hospitality, it was a normal part of Jesus' ministry. Not where he was inviting people over to his crib, because he didn't have one, right? But, But almost, I mean, like, so much of his ministry was done in homes, over meals, in people's lives. Luke um, 7.34 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. What did Jesus do? He came and ate and he drank. Feasting with others was so much a part of his ministry that his opponents called him a glutton and a drunkard. That Jesus guy, man, he's always over there just chowing and, 
And he's always just, you know, popping a top and hanging out with people. And like they are, they're like, that guy, what's up with him? Jesus used open homes as open doors to speak about gospel truths. It was over meals that he talked about theology. He talked about eternity. He helped his disciples see him minister and also ministered to them. And really, there's no more clear picture of this than John chapter 13, where at the, at, right before they ate the Last Supper, Jesus stooped down and he washed the disciples' feet. Now think about that. Whose feet is he washing? The same guys who in just a little while are going to run out. One of them is going to go out and betray him, Judas. He washes his feet. The rest of them are going to flee from him in his greatest hour of need. He knows that. So that part of you who thinks, well, I'm not inviting those people into my house. Jesus is like, hold up. We wash each other's feet. And that act of washing feet, it's, it's an act of hospitality that was reserved for the lowliest of servants. Now, in our culture, it would be, might be a little odd coming in, let me wash your feet. So I'm not saying let's all start that thing. Um, what I am saying, though, is that the posture and the attitude of the heart that Jesus modeled for us is the one that we have when we invite people over. Mikasa sukasa. My house is your house. He told his disciples that a servant is not above his master and that his disciples should also love each other by humbly serving one another. And then a few hours later, the ultimate act of service was offered. Jesus, who had become flesh and dwelt among us, was not embraced by us, was not welcomed in by us, but rather was rejected by us. We did not host the Lord of hosts, Rather, we nailed him to a cross and buried him in a grave and said, I love my sin and that's where I want you, down there where you can't tell me I'm wrong anymore. The ultimate inhospitable act. But then three days later, he rose from the dead. And I don't know what you would have done if you were Jesus, but I mean, it wouldn't have been pretty. But rather than just pouring out wrath on people at that moment, he comes and now he extends an invitation. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He says, you cast me out, well I want to bring you in. You turn from your sin, you believe in me, it's forgiven. Those who were Once enemies are now seated at his table as friends. Those who were once far off have now been brought near. And now as we await his return, we know that he has gone to do what? Prepare prepare a place for us. Jesus is the ultimate hospitality guy. He loves hospitality. He's, He's prepping a spot right now for us to be with him forever. That's amazing. There in his kingdom, we will feast with him forevermore. At that last meal, Jesus said, I am not eating of this bread and I am not drinking of this wine until until that day when we are all together and we will feast with him 
forevermore. So tonight when we share in the Lord's Supper together at the end of the evening service, like that's what we're thinking about that day. But, but on that day, we're not going to just be around the table as, as guests. We sit around the table as blood-bought, adopted sons and daughters of the King. What love is this? He has welcomed former rebels, not just over for supper, but over forever. That's his love toward us. And it is from this love that we have received that now hospitality flows out from us to others. Romans 15, 7 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I want to glorify God with my life. Good. Invite somebody over to your house. Huh? Like that's a very practical way to do that. Welcome somebody when they come to church. It's a very practical way to do it. Since we have tasted of his sacrificing, inviting love, we now extend that same kind of love to others. Hospitality reflects and it personalizes and it embodies the gospel. What's the gospel look like? It's Christ, and this is how you know. We show it in that way. It's one of the most practical and personal ways to really reflect the gospel. Come near, and let's speak of him. Now, there is a temptation in the midst of that to be like, all right, I'll, I'll be nice to people then. And I'll invite them over and to kind of do it with a, with a grumbling heart. And that's why it says in 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's like God knew you were going to be upset about it, okay? He says, do this without grumbling. Now, why do you think he says that? Because it is easy to hear a command like that and think, that's a lot of work. Like, that's inconvenience. i got to clean something. What about my privacy? I mean, this is Northern Virginia. We don't talk to people. It's the weirdest thing. Like, when you walk past somebody on the street, I love saying hello to people. It freaks them out. They don't know what's happening. Like, hey, like, it's good. Be a, be a hospitable people. But do that for one another in our lives. We worry about what people think about us. And we, we focus on ourselves even rather than the service itself. We can be tempted to think, this is my life and my space and my time. All the while forgetting that everything that we have, every penny that we have, is from the Lord. God gave you the ability and the wisdom and the strength to be able to make the money that you make, to be able to buy the things that you have. It's all His. This is a call to use it all for Him and for His, his purposes. Before I give you a couple practical ways to do this, I want to, I want to just highlight one thing a pastor friend of mine says. He says, we all have different amounts of relational capital. Spend what you've got. So for some people, you hear this, this sermon, and you're like, I love hospitality. I'm going to invite the whole church over. And you're like, that's just my thing. And you're like, yeah, you know who you are. Okay, that's, that's your thing. And there's other people who are like, I hate this sermon. I hate it. This is the worst sermon ever. I, I never want to hear this sermon again because this is, this is against what I love to do. Well, wherever you are on that spectrum of loving to talk to people and be around people or being like, this wears me out, whatever you've got, use that. You don't have to be like everybody else. God made you as you are. I encourage you, though, to still find a way to obey this command. 
And even if that means you're like, all right, I'm not having people over my house, but I'll let, I'll let them know that if there's somebody who's going to do that, like, I'll go over and help them. That's a great thing. Do that. Help others to be hospitable. That's fine. Six brief principles on how we might do this, okay? Six brief principles about hospitality. Number one, prayerfully plan to practice hospitality, okay? Prayerfully plan to do this. So I want to encourage you to sit down with yourself, if you live by yourself. Sit down with your roommate, if you live with a roommate. If you have a family, sit down with your family. And prayerfully make plans to show hospitality. Make it a part of what you do. So on Sunday mornings, real, real easy, I just want to encourage you, say hello to other people. Okay? Now, you know, you only need to stalk people and all that kind of stuff, but be nice to people. Go up. If you recognize, if you don't recognize somebody, say hello. I'm not sure if we've met. All right, my name's, you know, introduce yourself. And they're like, well, I've been coming for a couple months. Say, well, I'm sorry we finally got to meet. Sorry I missed you. But, but welcome one another. It's, it's hard to come into it. It's, it's hard for a lot of people just to come to church. And then to come and for nobody to talk to you, that's, that could be a very lonely thing. We want to be a hospitable people. And then during the week, um, could you plan to have people over maybe once a Friday, 12 times a year? We're going to have a Friday night set aside to have people over from the church. Or maybe, maybe you know, um, after church on Sundays, every once in a while, we'll, we'll plan to take somebody out to eat or we'll have a crockpot stuff and we'll invite people over. Um, Maybe you're very ambitious. I mean, I know one family who, who wants to have everybody in the church over sometime in the next two years. God bless you. Please, I hope it goes well. Like, like they, do it, okay? Like, seriously, we need those kind of people. So if that's you, just do it, okay? Um, maybe you get, maybe you get um, a copy of the directory and you pray through it and you say, okay, who, who, who lives near me? Or who's somebody I've never met before? And invite them over. Um, maybe your family or community group could host a dinner for new members. So after a members meeting, you just say, like, we're going to invite all those people over and help them to get to know people. Um, is hospitality a regular part of, of your family's life with inviting um, people who don't know the Lord or neighbors over into your home? Maybe your community group, you throw a block party and a big grill, you know, get you a pig and roast it, or if you're don't, in a pig roast, whatever you do, like, invite the whole neighborhood over. Like, those kinds of things are good, but be prayerful and plan it. Because I want to say that if we don't plan to do it, for a lot of us, it's just not going to happen. Everything else will crowd it out, okay? So, prayerfully plan. Number two, practice hospitality to edify others. To edify others. Like, that's the goal. Edify means to build up, to encourage, okay? So, think of yourselves as co-hosts with Christ. Jesus is already here. It's his house. We're inviting people over, and Jesus is, he's the one that we want to talk about ultimately. All right? So there's absolutely nothing wrong with having good friendships where you watch a game, you watch a movie, you just hang out. That's okay. But as Christians, ultimately, we should always be seeking to find ways to build each other up. So I want to encourage you to ask, one of the most basic ways you can do this over a dinner is say, we're just going to kind of take turns. Tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord. Like, what happened? How did God change your life? What are some things you're learning right now, either from sermons or from what you're reading in the Bible or just what's God teaching you in your, in your devotional time? Talk about those kinds of things and seek to use it as a time to, to, to build up. Number three, practice hospitality as an act of service. 
So we're co-hosts with Christ, and we are serving, not entertaining. I'm not saying you can't entertain one another. What I'm saying, though, is that's not, the, that's not the goal or the focus. Because when entertainment becomes the focus, you've got to invite people over to impress them, to show them whatever it is that you know, you want, you want, you're doing. Like, we want to come and do this as an act of, of service. Okay? We don't do it to get applauded by others, but we do this to bless others. So guard your heart in, in, in the midst of that. We want to focus on Christ and be encouraged by him. Number four, so active service, not entertainment. Number four, practice hospitality to bring unity in our diversity. Practice hospitality to bring unity in our diversity. So praise God, like we're starting to be a more and more diverse church. Like that's a wonderful thing. Where there's people from all kinds of different backgrounds and cultures and all kinds of, that's praise God, that is a good thing. That's a mark of the gospel. Like, that's what God does. He draws people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to come together. So when you think about being hospitable, I want, us to in, I want us to consider having people into our home that aren't exactly like us. Now, if you're like, listen, man, this is my first time. I'm inviting some people over I really know. Like, that's fine. I'm talking about in general, we want to be a people who are inviting people from different cultural backgrounds, different ages, different skin color, different economic situations, even different political affiliations. Different, that could happen. I've seen it, okay? I mean, listen, we've got a lot of people who root for the NFC North in here. We've got Vikings fans, Packer fans, Lions fans, and Bears fans. Don't make me, but listen, the issue is that we can all love each other. We're trying to work for unity, brother. Listen, we're, if Jesus can do that, he can do anything, okay? Like, let there be unity in our diversity. Because that's not going to happen naturally. But, but when we get in there and we begin loving one another, it, there's a, it's wonderful. So, so families, do you have unmarried friends over for reasons other than babysitting? Oh. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. It's a great thing. Love our unmarried brothers and sisters. Be like, oh, we actually just want you in our house because we like you. And now, those of you who aren't married, find creative ways to, to, to babysit. Like say, Pastor, we want, we want to take the nursery and we're going to have three nights or three hours where, three nights of three hours where <laughs> parents who have kids can just drop off kids and y'all just go and just have you some love or whatever y'all do. Like go eat a meal, like go walk in the park and hold hands and do that stuff, okay? That's a way to bless one another. Like that kind, that's, that gospel unity, God, God uses that. And I want to say something very serious here. I don't, I don't see this here. But look down at verse 16. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. If you ever find, and again, I don't see this as being a, a problem here, but in a room this size, it's here. If you find a tendency in your heart to look down on people from different cultural backgrounds, different skin colors, whatever it may be, I want to be very clear with you that that's, that's not from the Lord. There is, all people are created in God's image, and racism and elitism have no home in the church. 
Now, if, you want, if you're just on you're like, listen, this is just something I struggle with and I need help, listen, we're all messed up and we're all being worked on by God's grace. So yes, let's talk about that. Let's work on that. But, but let that not mark us. Let what marks us is, is unity in our diversity for the glory of God. Okay? If you need to talk about that more, please let me know. Number five. This one's really important. Not that they all aren't, but this, number five. Practice hospitality as an act of faith. What I mean by that is when you invite people over, do it in a way where you say, God, do something more than I can imagine here. Like, use this. Because you never know how God will use your willingness to open your home or your life up to other people. You have no idea how, what kind of lifelong relationships or marriages or even that, just that momentary encouragement. There are times that I can think of in my life where somebody just invited me over and there was just a word that fell from somebody's mouth that that was from the Lord. I needed that. You have, we just don't know what God's going to do. But as with every other act of obedience that we're called to step out in, do this in faith, trusting that God will bless it, however he will. And it doesn't mean, don't get discouraged if afterwards you don't get four emails from everybody who's there and they're like, I was amazing, it was the best thing Jesus ever did in my life. Like, we're doing this to serve one another in faith, trusting him to do what, what we, we just don't know. But we believe that he can move. And then finally... Practice generosity and hospitality with the ultimate end in mind. Practice generosity and hospitality with the ultimate end in mind. Jesus promised that one day soon he would eat and drink with his disciples in the kingdom. One day soon we will share in his inheritance for all of eternity. One day soon, we will be gathered together with brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, nation, economic, class, cultural, background, weak, strong, kings, peasants, all who have trusted in Christ, we will be seated at the table with the king. So in our generosity, in our hospitality, let that be what's on the horizon of your giving and your serving and your sacrificing. Having an eye towards that day always. That every bit of giving and every bit of inviting is a warm-up for that final day. That our words of invitation to each other, our meals together, our laughter together, our tears together, our testifying of God's grace together. All those acts of love be done with the anticipation of one day being with our King. Doing those things for all of eternity. We're going to close with this final word from Isaiah 25. A picture of eternal generosity and hospitality. Hear this. Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord God Almighty, this is Mount Zion, will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. The best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that unfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. Do you hear that? No more division. And he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken.
In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him, and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Now we can toast to that. That's eternity with our King. An eternal, glorious party with Him forevermore. That is why we do these things now with an eye to that day. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you might mark us by a practical, generous, intentional, hospitable love. God, would you put to death anything in us that is sinful that would hinder us from doing this? God, if we are stingy or greedy or selfish, God, or if we, by, by being deceived, view necessities, or rather, view luxuries as necessities, God, we pray that you would help us to know what to sacrifice to help those who are in need. God, may this church, would you please, by the work of your Spirit and for the glory of your name, mark this church by being a sacrificial, generous people who look like Christ. Do not allow us to be conformed to the image of the world, but help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by texts like this, into the image of Christ. God, make us a hospitable people. We pray this in the name of Jesus.